I'm here and we're just about to start live. I apologize for the late start. Some of our, our previous sessions went just a little over. No problem at all. You do not need us at all live at the beginning here, correct? Uh, no, not at the beginning. So we'll set up, we're gonna just set up all here on this one, uh, on this one screen with uh, the five of us around. Uh, and I believe we're live now. So let's just go ahead and dive in. Uh, welcome to everyone who's here for attending this next, uh, Welcome to the next session of the National Symposium for Classical Education. Again, we're glad you were able to join us for this year's COVID edition of our symposium, all online. And we do hope to gather in person once again next year in Phoenix. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors who have generously joined us for this uh, digital version of events. You can learn more about their various resources designed to support K-12 classical by visiting the exhibitors tab in the virtual attendee hub. Uh, in this panel presentation, we have science teachers from Hillsdale Academy uh, who will be discussing uh, their approach to science education and the role that they understand science to have in a classical liberal arts education, practical aspects of our science program, uh, and, and uh, the goals that they work to achieve through science education. The panelists are all veteran science teachers who collectively teach science to grades 3 through 12. Uh, one distinctive of Hillsdale Academy's science program is that all of the seniors complete a senior capstone project in the sciences, as well as one in the humanities. So some of the panelists that you'll, you'll see in just a moment, uh, we have Lisa Roberts, who holds a BS in health um, and physical education from Hillsdale College. Uh, she's been a teacher for nine years and currently teaches third and fourth grade science, earth science, life science, and biology. Uh, Lori Andaloro, I hope I'm saying this correctly, uh, also holds a Bachelor in Science, but in Nursing from the University of Florida. She's been a teacher for eight years and currently teaches fifth grade science, as well as fifth and sixth grade history, fifth math, sixth language arts, and sixth literature. Uh, we have Heather, again, I apologize if I'm messing up the name, uh, Heather Scherer, who holds a Bachelor of Arts in Mathematics from Spring Arbor University and a Master of Arts in Education from Mary Grove College. Uh, she's been a teacher for 15 years and currently teaches physical science, chemistry, and advanced biochem, as well as algebra two. Uh, and then Michael uh, Nicola holds a Bachelor of Arts in Mathematics from Hillsdale College. And he's been a teacher for 12 years and currently teaches physics and advanced physics, as well as geometry, calculus, and computer programming. Uh, and finally, we have Dr. David Diener, uh, who works at Hillsdale College, where he is the headmaster of Hillsdale Academy and a lecturing professor of education. Uh, so before we get started, uh, we will also like to thank Memoria Press for their sponsorship of this session. And uh, as we head into this next session, as you're watching, uh, look to the side of your screen for the Q&A. And if you have questions as you're watching, please feel free to drop questions in there uh, or vote on some as we go, because we will have a little bit of time here at the end for some Q&A with, with our panel members. Docere to teach Docere to teach them the truth. Delectare to delight them with beauty. Movere to move them to embrace the good and bring it to our world. For the last 25 years, these goals have animated every textbook, teacher guide, and workbook that we publish. Come and see how our books can help you make these goals a reality in the lives of your students. Thank you for joining us today uh, for this science panel. I have here a team of science teachers from Hillsdale Academy. My name is Dr. David Diener. I'm the headmaster here at Hillsdale Academy in Hillsdale, Michigan. We are a private, uh, non-sectarian Christian classical school that is a part of Hillsdale College. And these teachers have been here uh, for many years teaching science uh, at a variety of levels. So I'm excited to share today uh, with you as we just have a conversation and talk a little bit about 
our science program at Hillsdale Academy, some of the goals that they have for science education and the way that we teach science uh, here in Hillsdale, Michigan. So we'll just go around the table and do some introductions and then we'll jump in and, and have a conversation, all right? Lisa, could you start? Great, yes, um, I'm Lisa Roberts. Um, I graduated from Hillsdale College with a health and physical education degree um, with a bio minor. Um, I am in my ninth year of teaching. I did four previously before kids, um, teaching some middle school and high school science and math, both public and private schools. And then after coming back after my last child is in kindergarten, um, I've taught here at Hillsdale Academy, lower school and upper, upper school math and science. Right now I'm teaching third and fourth grade general science, sixth grade earth science, seventh grade life science, and uh, freshman biology. Lorianne Delaro, I have a Bachelor of Science in Nursing <clears throat> and have spent about 15 years in the classical liberal arts education. I was a nurse in critical care at big teaching hospitals. Well, I started the session just a little bit early. Uh, as Dr. Diener kindly reminded me, we started at 1030. So uh, for those of you who are just joining us, we're going to start over. Uh, for those of you who were here five minutes early, thank you for your patience. All right, uh, welcome to the next session of the, National, uh, of the National Symposium for Classical Education. We are glad that you were able to join us for this year's COVID edition of our symposium all online. Uh, and we do hope to gather again in person next year in Phoenix. Uh, we do wanna take a moment to especially thank our sponsors who have generously joined us for this digital version of events. You can learn more about their various resources designed to support K-12 classical by visiting the exhibitors tab in the virtual attendee hub. Uh, now in this panel presentation, you will meet some science teachers from Hillsdale Academy discussing their approach to science education, uh, the role that they understand science to have in a classical liberal arts education, as well as some practical aspects of the science program and the goals that they work to achieve through science education. The panelists are all veteran science teachers who collectively teach science in grades three all the way up through 12. And one distinctive of Hillsdale Academy's science program is that all seniors will complete a senior capstone project in the sciences, as well as in one in the humanities. Some of the panelists you'll meet today in just a moment. Uh, we have Lisa Roberts, who holds a bachelor's of science in health and physical education from Hillsdale College. She's been a teacher for nine years and currently teaches third and fourth grade science, earth science, life science, and biology. Uh, Lori Andaloro holds a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the University of Florida, and she's been a teacher for eight years and currently teaches fifth grade science as well as fifth and sixth history, math, language arts, and literature. Heather Scherer holds a Bachelor of Arts in Mathematics from Spring Arbor University and a Master of Arts in Education from Marygrove College. She's been a teacher for 15 years and currently teaches physical science, chemistry, and advanced biochem as well as algebra two. Michael Nicola holds a Bachelor of, Bachelor of Arts in Mathematics from Hillsdale College. Uh, he has been a teacher for 12 years and currently teaches physics and advanced physics, uh, as well as geometry, calculus, and computer programming. And finally, Dr. David Diener uh, works at Hillsdale College where he is the headmaster of Hillsdale Academy 
and a lecturing professor of education. We would like to take a moment to thank Memoria Press for their sponsorship of this session. Docere, to teach them the truth. Delectare, to delight them with beauty. Movere, to move them, to embrace the good and bring it to our world. For the last 25 years, these goals have animated every textbook, teacher guide, and workbook that we publish. Come and see how our books can help you make these goals a reality in the lives of your students. Thank you for joining us today uh, for this science panel. I have here a team of science teachers from Hillsdale Academy. My name is Dr. David Diener. I'm the headmaster here at Hillsdale Academy in Hillsdale, Michigan. We are a private, uh, non-sectarian Christian classical school that is a part of Hillsdale College. And these teachers have been here uh, for many years teaching science uh, at a variety of levels. So I'm excited to share today uh, with you as we just have a conversation and talk a little bit about our science program at Hillsdale Academy, some of the goals that they have for science education and the way that we teach science uh, here in Hillsdale, Michigan. So we'll just go around the table and do some introductions and then we'll jump in and, and have a conversation, all right? Lisa, could you start? Great, yes, um, I'm Lisa Roberts. Um, I graduated from Hillsdale College with a health and physical education degree um, with a bio minor. Um, I am in my ninth year of teaching. I did four previously before kids, um, teaching some middle school and high school science and math, both public and private schools. And then after coming back after my last child is in kindergarten, um, I've taught here at Hillsdale Academy, lower school and upper, upper school math and science. Right now I'm teaching third and fourth grade general science, sixth grade earth science, seventh grade life science, and uh, freshman biology. Lorianne DeLauro, I have a Bachelor of Science in Nursing <clears throat> and have spent about 15 years in the classical liberal arts education. I was a nurse in critical care at big teaching hospitals. Uh, here at Hillsdale, I teach fifth and sixth grade as well as fifth grade science and just made that realization that you can have science and teaching together. It's been a dream. <laughs> My name is Heather Scherer. Um, I have degrees in math and chemistry. Um, I've taught math-wise, I've taught anywhere from third grade math uh, to almost all of the high school maths. Um, more recently, though, I've gotten back into teaching science, and I'm teaching physical science and chemistry and anatomy. I'm Michael Nicola, and I studied mathematics at Hillsdale College, as well as uh, minors in physics and computer science. Um, right out of college, I started teaching, and uh, mostly mathematics. Uh, but when I moved to Hillsdale Academy, I uh, started to enjoy teaching physics as well. And I'm David Diener. I am not a science teacher. I like science. Um, but uh, I, as I said, I'm the headmaster here at Hillsdale Academy. I've been a teacher and a professor for about 20 years and an administrator in classical Christian schools for the past 10. My training is in philosophy and ancient languages, undergraduate level, and then um, at the master's degree, and then my dual PhD in philosophy and philosophy of education. So let's just jump in. Uh, I have a series of questions, and we'll just throw these out, and we can uh, have a discussion about them. So first of all, uh, what led you, you all to become science teachers? What got you interested in science and in teaching science to uh, younger minds? I would say both math and science, both of my degrees, um, I really enjoyed the, the problem solving involved, right? But with both um, in math, uh, we got some concrete answers. In science, the exploring how things work, um, helping kids understand both uh, the chemistry, you know, how different chemical reactions occur, or now as I get more into teaching anatomy and looking at how the human body works, um, I think I just really enjoy helping them to understand um, and hopefully helping them to enjoy the things that I enjoy. I grew up with a mechanical engineer as a father, and so I enjoyed watching him work with things and seeing how things worked. And with my interest in mathematics, it was an easy step to physics. Um, and 
Then you come to a small school where you can't, even though I want to teach math all the time, or I wanted, I wanted to teach math all the time, you come to a small school and then you, and then you have to uh, make con concessions. And I've actually been really surprised at how much I've enjoyed teaching physics, um, taking that joy as a child, um, and trying to spread that to the students as well. That's great. I think what led me into teaching was um, just realizing I, I just love to learn. And it's um, not only just to learn, but to be able to share what I learn with others, and especially with kids, just even the little kids, just to explore the natural world. Um, you know, I definitely prefer biology, but just to go outside and to explore and see the joy and wonder that can be fostered as they learn new things about ordinary stuff that they see every day. So kind of like a little selfish. I like to learn, and I want to share that with the kids so I get to continue to learn. What led me to teach science is the actual love of science. In high school, it was never enough, so I was taking science classes at the college level and just knew I loved it. And when I was a nurse, my favorite times were when I had students assigned to me. And when they were on break, I missed them. And I just had that realization, you can be a teacher and teach science in the best of both worlds. So. Yeah, it's great. OK, now we'll move straight from the softball question into the really deep one. What is, what is science? How, how do you understand and talk to your students about what science is? So. Um, I usually try to start my classes every year with kind of a general definition. What is science? You know, it, it means to know or to understand. And so I start with this general um, definition of it's knowledge about or study of the natural world, and it's based on facts. But we also we use observation and experimentation. So we have some concrete things that we can build on to learn about, about our world. Um, we need to observe. We need to um, journal and sketch and describe and classify things. Um, but then also experiment with them. So all sorts of ways of knowing about our world. That's how I would kind of sum it up. OK. Uh, how does science, uh, the scientific disciplines, how do they uh, fit into the paradigm of classical education? Uh, a classical school like ours teaches many subjects, uh, what we now, now call science included, or the natural sciences. Um, or natural philosophy. So how do we understand the, the role that science plays in that classical liberal arts approach to education? I think the study of science is fundamental to the liberal arts. There's a notion that science is unconcerned with a student's humanity, when in fact the opposite is true. One of the things I have my students do on the first day of science class every year is write the first sentence of Aristotle's metaphysics, all men by nature desire to know. Because we as humans are natural learners. And I think then the study of science becomes a very human, natural endeavor. Um, when we give students the skills to critically look at information and be able to evaluate the information, what's its source, what's its relevance in the world today. They can carry that not only from science, but to all other areas of their lives, giving them the ability to be better citizens in the future, all from this, the things that they learned um, in the science room. When, when students are the catalyst for discovery, rather than the recipients of facts that have already been discovered, they start to ask why. And that, I think, is when the magic happens in the classroom. They start to question why. Their sense of wonder gets deeper. And that spills over into all their other subjects. If they can see the order in science, they can see the order in math. And it just makes them better students all around. Yeah, so that's a great point. And maybe just building on that, I'm thinking of um, John Henry Newman and lots of uh, thinkers throughout the tradition who have talked about the different branches of knowledge as all working together to form a unified whole, that any one separated off by itself um, can only give us an incomplete view uh, of truth. So what are ways in which the study of science uh, specifically, and Laura, you started to, to hint on this, um, can help our students have a more robust understanding of truth or contribute to the learning that takes place in the other subjects? How does studying science help them to be a better a Latin student or a better uh, literature student or history student? We bring up Latin just today in class. We, we look at um, the word aqueduct. And well, you have to tie in history as well. Like, when did we first start building aqueducts as, 
as humans. And what does the word mean? Breaking it down. And I love that now we're, we're teaching Latin so that the kids, when I walk into class, we can talk about words because there's so much in science that's in Latin or in Greek. And we can break it down and say, well, this is literally what it means. So it, their learning is just is, um, is moving at a quicker pace because they're understanding the science because they understand words. It's how to communicate with the world around you and you're making connections between um, different disciplines, but it is, it's all tied in together. Great, and so what are, what are your goals as science teachers uh, when students uh, leave your classes? What do you hope that they uh, will walk away with? What are, what are the, 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 what's the telos or the purpose uh, that you see for science education um, in addition to just the course content that you cover, right? What are, what are you hoping uh, to instill in them through the science class you teach? I hope to, I think, instill in them a sense of wonder for the natural world. My goal at the middle school level is if they can walk away with that sense of wonder for the natural world around them, that then they're gonna be open as they get into the higher sciences in, in future years to be able to, to really understand what it is they're learning. And that just sense of joy that they come running to me at recess because they want to show me a rock they found out in our glorious woods here because they want to look at the rock together. It's not something they needed to be doing there at recess, but they have that joy that they want to come and show it to me and they want to be part of understanding what it is they found. Each of our classes has some very interesting things that we want, we want our kids to, to um, be introduced to. Um, I think the order of the universe, being a physicist, of course, the, the order of the universe, I think, is fascinating, and I think a really important idea to get, to get across. And so um, physics, I like how physics does that, or at least attempts to do that um, with our students. Um, I also think it, it also trains really good problem-solving skills. Um, that you, you get in mathematics, but um, it, it's almost too abstract or too, um, too rigid in mathematics, and so when you go into science and physics, um, it becomes uh, much more complex. And so it's gonna, I think, build a strong ability to, to problem solve. So you have wonder, we have problem solving, um, we have understanding the world around them is ordered, right? I mean, that's true through all of the sciences, I think. Uh, and also then uh, forms their understanding of, of the world for other subjects as well, right? Their study of, uh, of language or of, uh, of, of history or of literature or of, or of any other subjects, that the, the world is, a, is not a chaotic, uh, disordered place, but that they live within um, certain parameters. What, what other things come to mind as goals? I think um, throughout a science curriculum, we kind of see a, a transition from lower school. We're trying to get the broad... Um, beautiful, you know, learning about the natural world around them, but it's still, um, it's pretty concrete, right? And then even in junior high, we're trying to get information, but then you transition the kids and the way that they learn from learning concretely to now you ask the questions and now try to figure things out. Just like Michael said, the, the problem solving of science builds um, as they develop in their ability to learn. And I think addressing some of the big questions. It's amazing the questions that pop up in biology class, freshman level biology class. You never know what you're going to get. You know, I, I think I know what I'm going to talk about for the day, and we start down a road, and then we end up talking about, well, is this really moral? Is this ethical? We talk about, if you talk about genes and gene therapy, and well, where do we go from here? Is it okay? Is it not? So it's, it's fun to kind of um, pick their brain, and their, their eyes are open, like, wow, you know. It's fun to talk with them and, and learn together. So, so our school motto is uh, virtus et sapientia, virtue and wisdom. Um, what are ways in which our science program, uh, in addition to, again, teaching them right, the knowledge of, of uh, earth science or physical science or biology or chemistry, et cetera, what are ways in which uh, what you teach in your science classes helps to cultivate men and women of virtue and wisdom as they leave uh, Hillsdale Academy and go on to the next stages of their lives. I think one aspect is seeing their, our connection to the created world. We are part of it, and God created it. He put us in it, and so we can start to ask questions about 
what our role in that universe is, um, what our relationship to the other parts of God's creation is, and what our relationship to God is. We can see that through science um, as, we, as we start to learn what matter is. As, that's a really interesting question. Very simple at the young ages, very interesting and complex at the older ages. But that pushes us to ask some questions like that. It's always interesting to see as they, as they learn, um, they're building this great body of knowledge, whether it be physics or biology or chemistry, um, but what, what people can do with it. And they, we can learn about what people in the past have done with this body of knowledge and, and what can we do with it, what should we do with it, um, and then thinking about their future, about what, okay, well, what can I do with it? Whether if it's, am I, am I going to go into a research lab and am I going to look at microscope slides all day? Or am I going to become a mechanical engineer? Or am I just going to be a citizen? How is my understanding of how water filters at the sewage plant down the road, how does that enrich what I do when I, when I have my own family? And I'm at home, and I'm not teaching, I'm not learning, I'm not in a lab, I'm not doing any of that stuff. But still, as a citizen, what can I take from this body of knowledge and use it for the good? Good. Uh, what, are, what are some unique features of our science programs here at the Academy, the classes uh, that we offer um, that, that may be of interest to teachers from other schools, uh, ideas that you've tried that work, um, things that, uh, that we're able to do here at, at, in Hillsdale uh, that have been particularly particularly uh, beneficial or, or impactful for the science program? I initially say the setting we have here is amazing. The, the grounds, to, we have woods, we have a marsh. I mean, the kids, you can see it at recess. They're outside, they're not, we don't have a lot of playground equipment, but um, they're out playing in the woods. They're building forts, they're exploring the world, learning how things work together. You know, and I, if I'm teaching biology, we can say we're studying lichen, and we can go outside. Let's go find it. Let's see what it looks like. What different shapes does it take? What different colors are there? How, what kind of symbiotic relationship is going on? It's just a, a natural learning environment, and it's so fun. Whether, and here in Michigan, whether there's snow on the ground or it's 90 degrees on a hot spring or, or uh, early fall day, um, there's just a variety of things to learn and do. I think we're blessed as well to have the support of the college. I recently took my class up to a presentation by the chemistry professor up at the college, and it was a magical day for the students. They are still talking about it, and just seeing the awe and wonder on their faces on our walk back, it, it meant a lot to them. And to have that uh, that we can use to, to enrich our program is, is a real gift. Yeah, what are other resources, our unique features of our program? I should mention that, go ahead, Lisa, I'm sorry. Well, I was thinking about the, um, how we, for the most part, have kind of breakout science classes. And so we have science teachers teaching science. And it's kind of a concentrated like burst of like, here's your science. You know, it's 45 minutes, we have 45 minute periods. Um, so people are really passionate about what, what they're teaching. Um, and we're just really blessed to be able to do that. And the teachers, the few teachers in the lower school, K through two, who teach it in their classroom, they're all in love with science as well. So it's a great thing. The kids see how excited we are um, and just how we can kind of pour ourselves into this thing that we love. And it's, I think it's contagious. So yeah, so in kindergarten through second, science is taught by the classroom teacher. And then starting in third grade, there are, there are breakout or, or students come out. Science teachers. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, so, you know, maybe other, other schools say, well, we don't have a woods, uh, we don't have a bog, uh, you, know, you know, we're not a part of a college. Uh, Hillsdale, Hillsdale Academy is owned and operated by Hillsdale College. Um, what, what, what would you say to them about how they, they can uh, create unique uh, uh, aspects of their program or, or, or find unique resources? Go outside and drop stuff off of a roof. <laughs> it's one of my favorite physics projects to do. Or shoot things off a roof. Or shoot yeah, things. And then you get horizontal <laughs> and vertical, yeah. I think make connections and reach out to um, different businesses or different, you know, like Lisa talked about going to the water treatment plant. You know, someone from the power company, somebody from, 
you know, different, different places that you could reach out to. And, and I'm sure that, you know, even in any community, they'd be willing to come in and, and work with students or talk to students. Okay. Um, it, science is all around us, right? The natural world. So uh, regardless of whether you're out in the country or in a city or at a big school or a small school, there's all, there are always uh, resources that you can use. And I think just to echo what you said, uh, harnessing local resources, right? Whether they be natural or expertise that you can find in people, um, helping science to come alive uh, with what's around them is really, really important. Are there any other aspects of, of our science program here uh, th that are unique, that are maybe different than what some schools do? Michael, if you wanna talk a little bit. Uh, our science scope and sequence is um, relatively normal in terms of the elementary program and then in middle school, uh, earth science and life science and physical science, uh, those studies. And then in high school, we have a little bit uh, of a different uh, ordering. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Michael, do you want to just explain what that is and the historical reasons why uh, you and others sure. uh, started to do that? Yeah, we, uh, we actually have the physics class in the sophomore year and the chemistry class in junior, which I think is pretty standard chemistry. Well, maybe not. <laughs> it used to be. I don't know. Um, but physics before chemistry, and um, we do that because we find the problem-solving skills in chemistry to be more advanced than those in our physics course. So I, I think that's a benefit to our, to our students that as sophomores, they can do very basic algebra work and really build their problem-solving skills so when they get to chemistry and things are more abstract, um, that they have just more maturity in that, in that way. Um, so I, I like that. And then our senior. Well, so I was going to say, how do, so how does that correspond with the math program then? One of the questions is always, uh, how, do, how does the science scope and mm -hmm. sequence line up with the math that they have? Um, and that's probably particularly relevant to physics in terms of how you're teaching right. uh, physics. You can do it at a variety of levels from you know, conceptual to algebraic to calc-based. So how, do, how does that work in terms of alignment between what they're studying in math and in science? Yeah, so our sophomores are generally going to be geometry or algebra two. So they will have had, for the most part, a, a full year of algebra one, um, starting to go through those geometric processes and reasoning things through um, if they haven't already. So they have a good foundation for an, uh, a solid algebra-based um, classical physics study as sophomores, so I think it matches up really well there. And they get a, a lot of them will get that Algebra 2 base prior to chemistry. And again, whether or not they need Algebra 2 is a question, I think, but the, the problem-solving maturity that you get from going through that extra mathematics class I think is more beneficial for uh, chemistry than for classical physics. Are, are there aspects of chemistry that you think um it's beneficial to have physics already in hand before you do chemistry? Um, there are certainly areas of physics when, they, you know, Michael works with them on uh, electromagnetism and light, um, which is, is great for when we get to the chemistry side of, you know, why do, why do certain compounds emit different wavelengths of light? And they've already got some background in it. Um, so, yeah, there are certainly parts of, you know, elements of physics that we, that we speak about in chemistry um, and I do just feel, too, like Michael said, that the, um, the problem-solving skills in chemistry, you know, there are, there are certain things in physics where maybe he, it's more, um, more formula-based, uh, where in chemistry it's not always a, you do this and this and this. It's a, all right, I've got this, and I need to figure out how to get there, and kind of figuring out your own roadmap. Um, so I think chemistry builds well on physics. That's an interesting uh, feature, and I think... Uh, Michael, you were going to start talking about the senior capstone project yeah. also. So many classical schools do a, do a senior thesis class. Um, at the academy, we do two senior capstones, one in the humanities and then one in science. So our students all leave having done uh, a, a capstone project in both. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is a panel on science. Yeah. So uh, we could have Dr. Condit come talk about the humanities side. But why don't you, could you just explain a little bit about how that senior capstone works for sure. science? Sure, we take the first 12, 13 weeks of the school year. Uh, we're set up in trimesters, so it works pretty, pretty well for us. And the kids do, um, they build an, ind an individual research project. So they do and, it all on their own. Sorry, and just to, to clarify, so all of the students have done biology, chemistry, 
uh, sorry, biology, physics, chemistry, right. and then their senior year have a couple of advanced science options. Right, so our senior science class is advanced uh, biology, chemistry with uh, Heather. I teach an advanced physics course. Um, but before we get really into the, the curricular material really deeply, we take the first 12 to 13 weeks and the kids take that information that they've developed over the years and build their own individual research project, which is really fun to watch. And regardless of their ability as scientists, they still it's really neat to watch them build something, learn about something, get excited about something that beforehand they thought might have been pretty boring um, or basic. But once they read, so they, so they, read, um, they read and study a lot of primary literature, they design and execute their experiments, and then they write a research paper and present to all the classes. Um, which is a lot, and it's a little daunting to the kids at the beginning, but they, they step up pretty well, and it's, uh, it's always really fun to watch their presentations, and I think, uh, I think we learn more than they do, because we get to hear <laughs> yeah. 20 different I, research projects. I want to know what this experiment <laughs> will produce, right? I mean, well, it helps. I mean, one of the criticisms that's made uh, sometimes against classical schools is that they uh, incline more toward the humanities and that the, and that the math and sciences get gypped. And I don't think in, in many cases that that's actually true. Uh, but this is one way that at the academy we've, we've um, made sure that our students all leave having done uh, fairly high level research and writing and presenting not only in philosophy or theology or history or literature or something, but also uh, in science, that they've walked out doing a science experiment, designing a project, and then, um, and then researching and writing on it. Um, okay, well, let's, let's uh, move on to a, a hot, contentious topic. Uh, that is, how do you help your students think about through, through all the grade levels, from, from young elementary students through, uh, through high school, how do you help students think about the relationship between science and religion? Um, we, we are a, as part of Hillsdale College, we are a private uh, non-sectarian classical Christian school, so we're able to talk about uh, those things, um, but, but not all of our families are, or our teachers even uh, have agreement on all of those issues. So how do we help uh, our students, how do you help your students uh, think about the relationship between uh, science and religion and, and through that understand uh, the, the parameters and the limitations and the scope of what scientific knowledge is or is not? I think how we teach doesn't change all that much. But why we teach, like the, the fundamentals underneath of it all, I think uh, is what we do maybe differently. Um, God, we know, we believe that God created what we have. And that's actually a, a really important idea um, from a Christian perspective, because what we're studying in science is his creation. And so by studying his creation, we know something about him. Um, so I'm not going to, I'm still going to teach physics like you teach physics. I'm still going to have those demonstrations. I'm going to talk about the cool, like we mentioned earlier, the order of the universe. It's knowable to us. God made it that way so we can study that order and predict how things are going to happen. And we can watch that and, and go through the mathematics of it. Um, uh, but, but in the end, we're learning that, learning that tells us a little bit more about who God is, who our creator is. Well, and that reaches back to even the lower school levels. Um, we, you know, instilling that joy and wonder, and they're so excited. It's kind of like, you know, if you go to a museum or an art gallery and you're looking at this great masterpiece, who painted it? Who made it? Like, well, we can attribute it to, we know God made this, and you can see how it's ordered. Now, how it all plays out and how the science works, how it was created or made, we don't completely know yet. That's what science is all about, trying to figure that out. But we know we can attribute to God made it, there's order. Um, and that kind of points it back to there's joy and there's wonder, but we can say it's because God made it that way, and we can learn things from it. Lori, how would you say that that works uh, or plays out at an upper elementary or middle school level, helping students of that age uh, range to think about uh, what science is, the, 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 the scope of, its, um, of the knowledge it can give us and the relationship between uh, what we sometimes 
divide into science and religion. I think once you spark that sense of wonder, they start to question why naturally. And you can be there as a guide as they start to ask themselves questions. Uh, they start to dig a little deeper and want to know the whys. For instance, we were talking about cells at a uh, fifth grade level. And she knew you could look at a cell under a microscope, but the fact that you can't see it with the naked eye, then inside that cell are organelles that allow the cell to work appropriately. Then inside the organelles are structures that allow the organelle to work correctly. And she just, Ms. Indolero, how can this be? And then she just went, God is good. <laughs> and, and it's those moments where, the they, where they see that, where they encounter beauty in nature. And, and I think you can't deny that science is, is a subject that ennobles us as humans and orders the soul. And therefore, they, they see that. You, you lead them on a discovery of the truth, and, and they start to put things together. Yeah. Anybody want to add anything on that, on that topic? I, I mean, I would just say that I think that we, we try to uh, hopefully broaden our students' understanding. Uh, it's not a reductive approach, but actually an expanding one because it challenges their thinking. Um, we have students that come from a variety of, uh, of, of uh, Christian faith backgrounds, and uh, some of them think that that uh, necessarily leads them to certain scientific conclusions, right? And so as we, as we help them understand that, you know, our position is that natural revelation and special revelation when properly interpreted, will never be in conflict. Uh, that means that uh, on what sometimes gets divided into sides, on both sides, you have to be open-minded um, and seek truth through these, this variety of, of avenues that God has given us to um, explore and discover truth in the natural world. Um, and sometimes uh, that, that challenges uh, you know, the way that we understand uh, what just the science says or just the Bible says, right? So we're, we're able to help them, um, I think, expand their thinking and um, hopefully challenge their thinking, which um, helps them to become better uh, scientists and uh, deepen their faith all at the same time. Anyone want to add to that or? It's important to note that God made the world ordered and knowable. And like, we don't have to say, we don't know about very much stuff, right? Like, why does, well, I don't know, why, why gravity is a deeper question, but <laughs> why does it work that way? Why do the cells work that way? We can know that. We don't have to say, oh, because God made it to work that way. We can talk about those things. And I think that's really important to know, to understand that God made it so that we can know those things. There's going to be a limit, but finding that limit, that's part of being a learner, I suppose. Well, I think the more you grow in your, in your um, science knowledge, it makes me appreciate my faith more. And the more I grow my faith, I, I learn more about science. It works, I think, like hands in a glove. They just work together to enrich our lives. Sorry, Heather. Yeah. I was going to say, I even think um, it, it's, as you talk about, as we learn things you know, throughout centuries, right, the, the theories of 300, 400 years ago have changed because God and science have revealed, you know, we have, we've learned more about God's creation and about how things work. Um, and so I think it's also neat for them to see that uh, it's possible that we have theories now that might change in the future. We think we know it now, but it could be that we're wrong. You know, 100 years from now, they may say you're crazy. So, so there's, actually, there's actually a history of science. It doesn't just fall out of the sky into the textbook, right? Yeah, as you study the thinkers and the experiments and the ways that they uh, came to understand the world, and then sometimes we're, we're shown to be wrong, or, you know, they, yeah, it gives them a perspective right. on, on the scientific <laughs> enterprise and, and the way that it gives us access to truth uh, mm -hmm. about the fixed order mm -hmm. uh, of creation. Good. Well, uh, to, to start wrapping things up here, uh, just what do, you, what do you most love about being a science teacher? Or... Um, are there, are there uh, fun or unique uh, examples that you can think of of things that happen in class uh, that you've done with students that really uh, stand out in your mind as um, a highlight of your, of your science teaching career? Other than dropping things off of roofs? <laughs> yes, we already covered dropping things. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, I have uh, a fantastic story, I think. Uh, two of, two of our, our, I would say, most brilliant students since I've been teaching here, 
uh, were having an argument one day in the study hall about whether or not things fall at the same rate or not. Both of these gentlemen were very bright students, and they are doing very well in, in college right now. But they, were, they disagreed on this. And so it was really fun to present that idea, acceleration due to gravity, to that class and say, what do you guys think is going to happen here? Will, will, the, will the golf ball hit the floor at the same time as the shot put? And uh, so even though science is, well, physics actually, classical physics studies things that we, that we deal with all the time. It's so fun to see that we don't, our intuition about it is often wrong. And so when, we get to, when I get to present that to the students and them to realize, boom, the light bulb, light bulb goes off and it's like, oh, I was wrong. Or you know, the few times they're like, oh, I was right. Yes. <laughs> Which they, I think if fun. they're wrong, it's an opportunity for teaching humility. And if they're right. right, it's an opportunity for teaching <laughs> generosity. And I told you so. There you go. <laughs> yeah, great, great. Other, other thoughts? I think they're just their joy. I have a daughter in Lisa's class. And we, for the first time in, in their lives, uh, went to get our Christmas tree uh, ourselves. To, and she just, every tree, we had to stop and classify it. <laughs> and it was cold. <laughs> and she wanted to see if the pine cones were male or female. Who even knew pine cones were male or female in the first place? But she just, the joy in her going tree to tree, it, it just made my heart swell. It was something that spilled out from your classroom into her life outside of the classroom. And that, that's that sense of wonder that you hope they're picking up on. Well, and that, that sense of wonder in, in the natural sciences, um, like that story, helps them to see what they've always seen but didn't see. In a different right? way. Right. So they're able to take something very quotidian, like a pine cone or a tree, and then start to see it in newer and deeper ways. Right. And that's something that's incredibly um, valuable and important across all the disciplines, to be willing to look at something and realize that uh, the storybook that you've read for 10 years or, or the deep philosophical concept or whatever the case may be, right, has layers of meaning um, that you can continue to, to delve the depths of and that you probably will never exhaust uh, the, and, and completely exhaustively understand it. Uh, Lisa or Heather, good well, stories or highlights? I think that kind of, for the most part, encapsulates what my favorite is, is, is um, showing the extraordinary in the ordinary, um, whether it's in a, in a tree or we just studied fungus, so we talk about the fungus that can grow on cow patties. I mean, middle school kids, especially boys, they love this stuff. And, and it's so fun to teach them stuff. And, if, and the goal is to, can I gross out the middle school boys? I mean, that's, <laughs> can I, they're like, oh, when we brought in the sample of water from the sewage plant, they got a little squeamish. but. Um, but it's fun to teach them just look a little bit further, just to investigate, look harder, look harder, um, do a little more observation, do, do some sketching, you know, look at things under the microscope that you've never looked at before. And it's, it's just fun to do. And something that I missed when we were absent when we did distance learning is just being with the kids to share the learning experience. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad to be back. <laughs> well, tomorrow in anatomy, we're dissecting cats. Um, and I would say that that's a highlight, right? The students are so excited about that. They've already, you know, they've already named their cats. They've got their plans, you know. But just to be able to actually connect what we see on a picture on a page to the to the real thing, um, they're they're super excited. Although I, I'm I'm guessing we've got a couple who maybe might a be bit squeamish. squeamish. Isn't there a story of someone uh, <laughs> jump roping with a large intestine one time? Off the record. Oh, Isn't sorry. That, we can edit that can. out. Sorry. <laughs> I, I may or may not have experienced that in my high school. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you all so much for, uh, for participating today and for uh, your great work and, uh, and the experience that you bring to this. And, and thank you for sharing your perspectives and your insights. Uh, thank you to everyone for joining us. I hope this has been instructive and helpful as we talk about uh, science education in classical schools, the cultivation of wonder, uh, the, the, the cultivation of virtue and wisdom through the study of science, uh, the ways that science plays an important role, the natural sciences 
uh, and well, what we call today the natural sciences and physical sciences, uh, but the way that, the, that those play an important role in a classical liberal arts uh, approach to education as students learn about the order of the world around them and about who they are and how they fit into that world and uh, just enjoy a, a sense of discovery through, through their studies. I hope that wherever you are, this has been helpful uh, and that you are inspired to use whatever resources you have at your school, whether it's large or small, uh, whether you have uh, lots of uh, natural uh, places for exploration around your school or not. I hope that you're inspired to use the resources you have uh, to further serve your students and your school and the mission of your school through your science program. Thank you so much. All right, thank you for that. Uh, now we will have uh, several minutes to field questions from our audience. So audience, if you look on the right-hand side of your screen, uh, you can place your vote on one or more of those perspective questions or even submit one of your own, uh, which we can use as a prompt for our presenters. Uh, and before we, before we get started, I'll give you a moment to go ahead and, and do that. And just a quick reminder to check out the virtual attendee hub for any recommended resources related to the topic. Uh, at 1.30 this afternoon, uh, we have digital rooms for a forum. Please join those to discuss presentations and resources with other practitioners and leaders. And finally, if you look just below this presentation, you should see a brief survey link to let us know your thoughts on this session. We would, we would love to hear from you on that. So please do take a moment uh, after we close up Q&A to just share your thoughts. And uh, Dr. Diener, I see that you've uh, you've joined us. Give me just one Should moment. Should be all here. Wonderful. Oh, and, and we've got the, the whole group uh, circled around the table. Excellent. Let me pull up our questions here. Um, first of all, thank you for, uh, for being here and for your presentation. It was wonderful to be able to hear from all of you um, and from several different perspectives. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the presentation. Thank you. Thanks uh, to everyone for joining us uh, for the session today. Uh, I'll dive straight into the questions. I see at the top, uh, I see a question about uh, oh, um, how do you encourage healthy questioning or curiosity in your students uh, and head off a more negative attitude of skepticism? Do you do anything specific in your classroom? Uh, and I, I assume this is referring to the balance of um, that healthy sense of wonder and then realizing, as I think I heard someone say in that in that session, a uh, hundred years from now, we could be proven wrong. How do I know this is true? Um, I mean, I think, I guess I would emphasize to them that, that we're learning about the history of, you know, what other people have learned in science um, and to have an appreciation of what we have learned and have been able to discover um, but I guess also in teaching them the history that they can see that things have changed over time. Um, you know, I love to have the questions on, on what do you think will happen or, or what do you think about, you know, some new discovery. Um, but I guess I just try to emphasize that that things can change, that what we know right now uh, is what we know to be true, but that it, it could still change in the future. Other thoughts on that? I think as well that even scientific knowledge that is later proven to be wrong is still a building block, still gives a, a basis for building on scientific knowledge. So is there anything specific that you've done in your classroom to, to set that sort of culture of, of healthy questioning? I think the way I tend to run my class is it's a lot of question and answer conversational style. Um, so that we are having a discussion that I'm directing and along the way we may take a little side road and we get to ask some of those questions. Um, but then as the teacher, I need to redirect sometimes and say, well, maybe a good thought, but maybe not for today. Um, so it's all trying to hold the reins lightly, um, but yet give them a little bit of latitude. Okay. Um, I see our next question here at the top is, how do you strike a balance between engaging with students on questions of ethics or theology or politics that are you know, naturally prompted by their study of science 
and still remained focused on the scientific task at hand. This person says, I'm thinking of evolution or climate change, for example. Yeah. Biology. Right. Well, I think we, you have to set, um, kind of put everything in its appropriate place. Um, what do we know? What is hypothesized? What is theorized? What, what body of knowledge are we building? What do we know is absolute truth? And so just to draw those lines and say, from this, we can know this for sure. We can maybe extrapolate some other ideas or thoughts, but kind of put everything in its proper place maybe a good place to start. Um, and just to say back, well, what do we know for sure? What do we know for sure? And to kind of work it, work your way back and then to see that, okay, there are certain things we know for sure, for sure, for certain, and certain things that we can continue to discover, but there are things we will never know, but we can hypothesize and maybe come up with some ideas, but we cannot say this will be, or this is absolute truth. Michael, do you have any thoughts? Um, <clears throat> I guess in the physics aspect of things, maybe evolution, Big Bang, there's patterns in the world that we recognize. And are they always that way? Have they always been that way? That's a great question to ask. And we don't necessarily know the answer to that. We can hypothesize that's the case. Um, but when we apply to, to apply it to politics and things like that, there's an interpretation. Um, so there's what we know about the world and as well, what do we do about it? This is that's a different question. And so I like to ask those questions. And I, I actually enjoy it when students do ask those questions. Say so that's a great thing to discuss and wonder about. Um, but we're not going to get an answer to that question here in physics class. Yeah, it seems to me like the extremes, uh, I mean, the question was asked in terms of finding a balance. So one extreme would be uh, where science class sort of gets co-opted by current events, uh, you know, controversies or, you know, whether it's climate change or evolution or whatever, and you spend the whole time sort of uh, going back and forth on those, uh, those questions. And, but then the other extreme would be where you sort of just say that's bracketed and out of bounds, and we're only going to deal with uh, sort of, the, the, you know, what's in the textbook or something like that. So it seems to me like there's a, that, that we want our students to have a solid basis of of scientific knowledge and, and of, to be developing these skills and habits of, of natural philosophers, of scientists, and think that way with curiosity and wonder and all those things. Um, and sometimes it means we can't spend as much time as could be spent going down some of the application paths, but we should at the very least point students in those directions. So, so we don't here have a you know, strict policy uh, against uh, current events or, or pop culture references or something like that. But we also don't want to spend a lot of our time focusing on that. So helping the students to see the connections, even if we can't sort of spend a lot of time going down those paths, does that seem mm -hmm. a way of a way of articulating the middle ground? Thank you. Uh, I see the next question here is a panelist states that students should be the catalysts of discoveries, not mere receptors of discoveries. This is a clear path when doing demonstrations and experiments. How do you integrate this approximation when lecturing? <laughs> I think I did. So, <laughs> I would say that I, particularly in science, don't lecture the students. Our science discussions are very Socratic in that we're having a conversation with one another so that they're asking questions. And my goal is to continually encourage them to think deeper and to want to know more rather than to lecture them. Mm. Uh, well, I think I see a follow-up question a little further down here in the questions feed, which is how do you balance the fun parts of exploration and discovery and maybe even that Socratic conversation with the hard, here is what you need to know uh, sort, of, sort of approach. Would your answer change at all with, with that question? I think my answer would change. For instance, today, yesterday we were discussing, for instance, adhesion and cohesion, and they struggled a little bit with consistently knowing the difference between the two. So then I thought today what we're going to do then is have a penny and we're going to see how many drops of water can fit on the penny. And once that they could physically with their own hands see the difference of that water holding itself together to make that big sphere on top of the penny, 
they immediately, there was no confusion after that when I asked the difference between the adhesion and the cohesion. They knew it. So finding that balance between letting them explore hands-on and then discussing what they're doing as they're doing it. I think that's been the goal with, especially the middle school age, in finding that balance between what they need to know and discovering it on their own. Yeah, but and note that in that example, um, I mean, what, if we talk about the students as the catalysts, it's not to say, uh, I mean, you started, uh, your starting point was they need to learn the difference between adhesion and cohesion, Correct. right? So there's content that you need them to understand. It's not sort of a student-centric, right? They just go off and explore and come up with, you know, we all use science textbooks or, or I need to cover a certain amount in the, in the physics book or the chemistry book or, or whatever. Um, and so there's the content is there, but the, the task or the, the goal would be to help them as you move through that content to the, develop the uh, a sense of scientific inquiry or to, to guide or lead them down the path of exploration as opposed to just saying, here's all the stuff you have to know, go learn it. Correct. Thank you. Uh, this one I think is addressed for uh, any of you who perhaps work with the younger students, maybe K-5 or K-6, it says uh, young ones can be overly focused on accuracy or getting it right. Uh, how do you prepare them for error or failed experiments or uh, perhaps a disproven hypothesis? Or how do you prepare them to make honest observations that are not tainted by what they think is the right answer? I can take that one. Um, and I think um, this happened yesterday in class. We we're doing an experiment with growing grass and showing the phototropism how the grass leans towards the light. Well, during the experiment, I made a mistake and I um, I was not supposed to trim the grass and I did. And then after I did, I was like, oh, I totally messed up the experiment. And just being honest with them and saying, hey, sometimes experiments don't go how you want them to go. And sometimes even the teacher makes mistakes and it's okay. The important thing is let's be truthful what happens and let's grow from there. Let's learn from this. I think you all will remember now that um, the important sensitive cells of the, the grass are on the tip that will respond to the light that need to turn towards the light. And Mrs. Roberts totally just took it out. They will remember that, that Mrs. Roberts made a mistake and that it's okay to make mistakes, but you need to learn from it um, and grow. And that I'm kind of in this with them. I mean, I'm guiding them down the path, but um, I'm, I'm human too. And that I think they can maybe relate to that. Helps them. So I'm hearing you say it, it's really a lot of modeling that uh, that statement of I'm sorry that position of humility in approaching those sorts of things. Yes, forced humility. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually see that with our seniors as well. We have a, our capstone project, and uh, they have a, a strong desire that their hypothesis be proven true. And so. Mm. Um, <laughs> We really try and press uh, on them early that the outcome is has nothing to do with the grade. Um, and one one year we had a student who uh, got an A, very good project. Um, she was studying fish, and they all died. So she bought new fish, and they all died. And so she bought new <laughs> fish, and all but one died. And so <clears throat> that was a great example for her particular class. But we've used that as a model um, in uh, ever since as well to show them that it's the process that you're going through, um, the process of discovery, not necessarily that you end up with the result that you think or even end up with the result. Mm. Yeah, there's a certain kind of humility in, in that uh, and perhaps a good opportunity to teach perseverance. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, thank you. And then I see the next question is specific to um, balancing science and religion. Uh, this one says, how do you help and work with students and families who use Christianity to perhaps close themselves off from science, um, to broaden their minds to discovery and further understanding of the world through science? Well, I, I can give a start with a, uh, I guess, a theoretical answer and then maybe flush it out in, in practical examples. Um, I mean, as a non-sectarian Christian classical school, we're unapologetic about the fact that all truth is God's truth. So that means that the, the knowledge that uh, to which we have access through both special and general revelation uh, never will be in conflict uh, when interpreted correctly 
And so helping uh, families to see or, or parents in that kind of a situation to see that this dichotomy that's sometimes drawn between uh, between science and and religion, so to speak, is actually a false dichotomy. That that that, that the pursuit of truth uh, through all of the sciences, through all of the disciplines, all the branches of knowledge, is a coherent whole, and that God's revelation uh, of Himself through Scripture, uh, through uh, the history of the church, through the natural world around us, uh, when we are studying it correctly. Uh, will always work together to give us a fuller picture uh, of reality and of ourselves and of him ultimately. And so, so that means that when, you know, so if, if there is an apparent conflict, then we have to uh, go through the process of understanding, uh, being humble enough to recognize our own interpretive mistakes or try to figure out um, how we can, how we can uh, rethink our assumptions about what a certain set of data or a certain text uh, imply about about the truth of things. Somebody want to flesh that out in a uh, more practical way? Yeah, I would say in in chemistry and anatomy, um, my goal would be to help them understand that uh, science doesn't conflict with faith, right? That science is trying to understand the complexities that God has created. Um, you know, when we're teaching anatomy and just you know teaching them the the different muscles, the different bones, and diff the ways the, the different systems work together um, isn't something that should conflict with faith at all. In fact, it's something that should give us awe and wonder about how God has created things. Um, same with chemistry and, and the way that elements interact um, is all uh, structured and organized and um, just shows God's, uh, God's creativity and God's uh, power to, to create things and, and make them work just so. Thank you. Uh, I think we're, we're coming up right on time. So I think I have one last question and maybe it'll be a bit of a shorter one. I see a, a few similar ones in the comments. So hopefully this encapsulates more of them. Um, they ask, what science curriculum do you use at Hillsdale? Uh, and then they comment that finding a science curriculum, per, particularly in the elementary or the lower schools, that is not only accurate and well-written, but also beautiful and works well with the classical curriculum has been, or is rather difficult. Yeah, Lisa, do you want to specifically address lower school? Right, so um, we just started using this year, K through five, um, Nancy Larson Science. Um, it's really good. I like how it spirals throughout the, um, the different um, areas of science. Um, and it has some good inquiry, but also um, not just all experimentation, um, but also some good factual knowledge. Um, I think it really engages the kids, but it's also pretty neutral as it's it's focused on um, what needs to be taught, some good review. Um, so I've been I've been pleased with it so far. That's K five. So. Uh, wonderful. And I, I do see that it's 1130. So we have to close up to allow people time to transition. But uh, any any closing thoughts from you, the panel? Thank, thank you all for joining. Hope this has been uh, helpful and certainly uh, wish you uh, all the best as you uh, as you teach science and seek to improve the science programs in your schools. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close up the session now. Thank you for attending. And just a reminder to complete that brief survey at the bottom of the video afterwards.